perspective, a way of regarding situations, facts, etc., and judging their relative importance. God has a perspective, and we have a perspective. And the key thing that we have to ask in every situation and anything in life, whose perspective are we operating in? That's the fundamental thing for this series over the next three weeks. I'm really excited about this series because we're, we're launching into 2012 and we're putting 2011 behind. And it, it, this time of year, it seems like, I mean, you get inundated with resolutions and uh, it's all over CNN, churches. I mean, honestly, every year I, I usually touch on vision for the year and, and what works, what doesn't work, what was not right. Uh, taking an inventory. That's really what today is all about. But just to give you a top 10 list of where Americans are at, here's their top 10 resolutions. Number 10, get organized. Get organized. Number nine, volunteer. Number eight, learn something new. Now, learn, so, that's kind of vague, isn't it? Learn something. I mean, you know, can we be a little more specific? Uh, number seven, find a better job. Don't tell your boss that, though, okay? Uh, number six, quit smoking. My thought on that is if God wanted us to smoke, we'd have chimneys on the tops of our heads. Number five, find soulmate. Number four, more quality. T- By the way, what is a soulmate? I just have my wife, Hope. You know, I mean, are you my soulmate or are you just, I'm married to you, right? Maybe I'm not romantic enough. I don't know. Uh, number four, more quality time with family and friends. Very nice. Number three, reduce debt. Number two, stick to the budget. And number one, the mother of all resolutions, lose weight, lose weight. Now, what's interesting is, uh, there's two uh, ways to view this. A couple years ago, I had, my brother-in-law was in the last service. Uh, he introduced me to P90X. And for those of you who know, that's a huge weight you know, workout thing, and you discover that you have muscles that you didn't know you have, and it's ridiculously painful, and and you do it, and you're, it's, they do yoga and all kinds of crazy fun stuff that it just stretches you, and um, I had purposed, I initially engaged that deal as a way to lose weight, and I didn't want to do it, it was painful, but as I went through the process, in order to sustain that, I had to realize that, uh, I had a faulty perspective. I did lose weight. I did find muscles that I didn't have. And I promptly put some pounds right back on once I was done. Why? Because my goal was to lose weight. Instead of my goal was to change my attitude about how I view living. So instead of it's just losing weight, how about become an incredible temple and a force for God and giving his temple my best? So it's a mindset change. It doesn't mean that it isn't painful. And, and so we, 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 we look at find a better job, for instance. Okay? God is more interested in you having a good attitude about your current job, and then he'll find you a better job. If you have a mindset that says that uh, I just want to focus on the external, God wants it comprehensive. He wants it. You cannot separate mind, body, and spirit. We are, that is who we are. If you minister straight to the, the, I want to lose weight, what's your perspective on that? I want to lose weight because I want to look ridiculously good and everybody admire my body. That's a faulty perspective, ladies and gentlemen. That is a fa- and people, and we have serious problems from that. Anorexia, bulimia, the list goes on. They have toothpicks for models on Victoria's Secrets and I walk away and I'm going, oh, Jesus, you know. 
uh, feed them and clothe them. Amen. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously. And so we have all these perspectives out there. <laughs> Occasionally I, I go places that Jesus help me. Do you know for losing weight, they have one and <laughs> this is not, I found this on Yahoo by sniffing your food and not eating it. You lose weight. Imagine that. That was an actual story. By sniffing your food. Well, duh. I mean, but, but sniffing. Research says if you go and so, oh, that chocolate eclair. Oh, you know, the, those enchiladas smell so good. And you sniff it. You're apparently, you, if you do that long enough, you get your body starts to think you ate it. I don't buy that. Just so you know. But again, this is behavior modification. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is that it all flows together. God's perspective, our perspective. What are we engaging, okay? Uh, the old saying was this. If you don't put a plan on paper on purpose, if you don't aim at something, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. So here, here's, here's a way to view this. Instead of reducing debt, let's, how about stick to the budget, Congress? Uh, more quality, if you want more quality time with family and friends, then say no to the draining people in your life that will suck the very life out of you. Not that you are draining, any of you. Uh, not that your friends are draining, maybe. Instead of just volunteering, how about find a cause to fight for? Because if I just ask you, hey, can you volunteer at church? It'd be just great if you could sweep the floors and do all that. Instead of, sir, ma'am, would you join a revolution for me? We've got millions of lost people out there, and I want to create a resurgence of God's power. What's the better sell? I just want to... I just think I can't. I think I can't. You know, mindsets. Mindsets. Perspective. All right. A couple of case studies in the Bible. Uh, you can turn to your Bibles. We've also... Uh, we'll put it up on the screen uh, a tale of two characters. Let me set the scene for the first one. His name is Gideon. Many of you have heard of Gideon. There's going to be some things I'm going to illuminate today on these two characters that you may have not seen before. But we're going to start with this guy, Gideon. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, it was before the children of Israel had kings, okay? So Gideon is, let's just say he's a little fearful. He is not exactly... Uh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say it. I just won't. I, yes, Lord. Uh, there was an example I was going to use, but every once in a while, you know, there's a fleshy example of something you want to use, and that's not the Holy Spirit. That'd be Ryan. So uh, I just will shut that down. Uh, but so my point is this. Okay, he was very fearful. And the Midianites were this army that were oppressing them. And as you study the Old Testament, and some of it I understand it's, if you chew on Leviticus, sometimes it feels like gristle, okay? I mean, it, it just, you know, it's like, not that God's word is bad, God's word's good. But when you're reading about all of the animal sacrifices, uh, sometimes it, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at that going, okay, God, how does this... But do you know that God can even illuminate stuff in Scripture, even in the grisly places in the Bible? That's just, that one was free, okay? But there's perspective on that. And in, in the Old Testament, uh, the Midianites were oppressing God's people, and all throughout it, Children of Israel were successful and prosperous when they were in God's favor because they did what God asked them to do. And when they didn't, bad things happen. They serve idols. They go into oppression. So anytime you see the ites in the Old Testament, chances are, by and large, with 
rare exception, the ites represent oppression. They represent satanic oppression. They represent mindsets that are faulty. They represent things that will enslave us. For them, it was just an actual war against people. But as you relate it to our lives today, think of the ites and your ites as the bondages that hold you hostage, okay? Now, Gideon is... Here's where we find our hero in Judges 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, who now owns a new network, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezar. Uh, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So he's hiding. He's hiding because he's got things that he's afraid of, and he, his self-esteem is pretty low. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's response is, Who, me? Verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? So you understand, Gideon is God's chosen vessel. He is a covenant guy. Translation, Christian, you are a covenant person. You have the Lord on you, with you, for you, in you, and against things that are awful. So you have the favor of God. When fear comes against you, you have that. Okay, now here we go. And uh, where all the miracles our ancestors told us about, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. His thinking was wrong. His viewpoint, his perspective about God and who God's character was, who God's name. He's asking the why question. Has anyone asked that here? A few of you. Why, God, why? Good question. Here's what, here's what verse 15 says. But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. I'm just worm dirt here. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I want you to see this. You can go and study the history of Gideon after that. I strongly encourage you to do that. He is a process. He takes one step. I mean, God's working with the guy because he's like, oh, I don't know. Okay, I receive what you're saying, but I'll take a step. And he found some ground there. And he took another step and God met him there. And and what I'm trying to say to you today is, is that you're not going to go from here to here all in one second. You are a process. The issues in your life that have strongholds, God's going to remove those from you in 2012, but you've got to get your thinking right. You need to know who you are in Christ, and you need to know the covenant promise for you. What Gideon did right is he said, who, me? And God said, yes, and he said, okay. So he took a step. God worked him through the process to the point where what God called Gideon prophetically Gideon became a mighty man of valor. He took 300 guys in battle against what scholars believe is 125,000 Midianites. And one drop of God's favor, they're worm dirt. That's what my God can do, and that's what your God can do. Can I get a witness from the congregation? Okay. But he was a process in in the outwork of that. God didn't just deliver him into the Midianites the second, or didn't deliver the Midianites into his hand just the second that he gave the promise. It was a process, working it out. But what Gideon did was he took an honest inventory of where he was in his walk with God. But you notice, one God encounter can change your world. One word from God can change your perspective on how you view yourself. So here's this one guy... Negative self-esteem, 
moves to the opposite end of the spectrum and understands who he is. Today, it would be who we are in Christ. Under the new covenant, God has enriched, enriched us with grace, which is un, we've been talking about for the last several weeks about favor and about grace and what grace is. Grace is a person, Jesus, and his divine influence written on your heart and showing that to the outside world. So, of course, you're going to have favor as a byproduct of that. That's good news. Amen. All right. So Gideon's the one in, very fearful. Now we fast forward to a fellow named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a case study at the end of his life in self-delusion. Hezekiah was, by and large, a good king. In the book of Isaiah, you can read about him. By and large, was a very good king. So we fast forward in the Old Testament history to Hezekiah in the period of the kings. Hezekiah, in, in chapter 38, let me set this up for you. The prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, uh, just so you know, you're going to die. And so <laughs> Hezekiah is like, oh, that that sucks. Uh, maybe I should uh, maybe I should, you know, pray about that. So he gets on his knees. Lord, Lord, please. You know, uh, this is a bad word. I, 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 I want to live. What does God do? Heals him, gives him 15 more years. So all of a sudden. And, and keeping in mind, Hezekiah was a good king. He did a lot of good things, smashed a lot of idols in a lot of areas. He restored sanity and truth to Israel. But how many understand we're complex human beings? What we do well in one, we don't always do well in the other. You may slay it at work, but be terrible as a father. You may be a, an amazing father, but you're mean to your wife. You may be an incredible worker, but you may be a lousy friend. Am I being too abusive up here a little bit? Not too much? Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to get perspective. Just perspective here is that you guys are winning in some areas. So, so it would be natural to look back at 2011. And what I'm going to talk about is inventorying your life. Look back at 011. Don't resolve to do something and let you let God and his grace illuminate what was the problem, Houston, so that he can fix it in 2012. We walk by faith and by the grace of Jesus. Because if it's all about willpower, which I'll get to in a second, guess what? How's that working for you? So Hezekiah has been divinely healed, as I set the stage, divinely empowered, doing all the right things until chapter 39. Isaiah 39, verse 1. Soon after this, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes and a gift. He had heard that Hezekiah had been very sick and that he had recovered. Hezekiah was delighted with the Babylonian envoys and showed them everything in his treasure. Houses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. So, on the surface, you say, well, big deal. Here's the big deal. Hezekiah, his number one enemy at the time, were the Babylonians. They were coming to kill the Israelites. They hated the... They were... That, that, was, the, that was the enemy, folks. The enemy. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. Israel <laughs> had was in captivity here by these, these guys, these Babylonians. So here you have Hezekiah cavorting with the enemy, playing around with them. 
Hey, look what I did. Hey, look at my treasury. Hey, look at my kingdom. Hey, anybody ever bragged on some of your stuff if I see a hand not raised? Don't you kid me. I see. I know you're... No, I'm just kidding. This is not a turn or burn preacher, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here for you. I want you to take an honest look at what God wants to do in your life. Now, Hezekiah, so here he is. He's saying, yeah, come and look at all the stuff that I've done. He's already starting to lose focus. He's going down the other end of the spectrum. His perspective is self-sufficiency at this point. So we have Gideon, who's one perspective. We have, we have Hezekiah, who had some areas where he was getting it right, but this one he got it wrong. So here comes the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord at this time is distributed by the prophet Isaiah. Verse 3. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him, What did those men want? Where were they from? Hezekiah replied, They came from the distant land of Babylon. What did they see in your palace? asked Isaiah. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord of heaven's armies. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs, ouch, who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. That's rough. Uh, Verse eight. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is what? What? Let me read that again. This message you have given me from the Lord is good? For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Okay, let's pick that one apart. Here we have, let's go back to 38 again. Here we have our hero saying, oh, Lord, heal me. Oh, Lord. I mean, I, 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 I have purpose. I have vision. I have plans. Heal me. Okay? God heals him. 15 years. Now the prophetic word comes to him. So God reversed that word, correct? Hmm, logic, okay. So here's another situation. Isaiah comes to him. Your sons are going to be going into slavery, and I don't even want to think about being a eunuch. And then, and then it, 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 your land is captive. And you know what his response is? That's good. Really? <laughs> Two problems. He didn't have the perspective to see. One, it's all about him in the immediate, in the here and the now. Thank the Lord it doesn't happen to me. I don't care if I sacrifice my kids at the altar of a four and a half gazillion dollar national debt. I've got my toys today. And then, the second part as we look at that, he had an opportunity. As the royal dude, the head of the whole thing, to get on his knees. And instead of, instead of accepting that this is God, I intercede. I stand in the gap for my kingdom. I've been a complete idiot. I've missed it. I've been prideful. Forgive me. Don't punish my kinsmen for my lunacy. We don't see that, do we? We see, oh, it's good. I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty of that at times. We have to look at the piggy parts of our life. I'm more focused on, uh, well, uh, Lord, uh, how do we get get people uh, in church? And, And I can be so focused on me that I forget about the reason I'm here 
and that's you and him. We can forget. We thank God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for healing me, my perspective. But then once he does that for our purpose, for his purpose, when it comes to someone else, uh, it's good. You guys seeing this? It wasn't that Hezekiah was a bad guy. He was a covenant God. It's not that we're bad people. We're, we're covenant people. If you know Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This isn't shame and condemnation. This is conviction. It's about looking at blind spots. It's about looking at what, what Gideon's blind spot was, that he was fearful. What Hezekiah's blind spot was, is he was in his own self-delusional self-deficiency. Sufficiency. We have to look at the areas in our lives where we miss it. And here's the thing that's interesting for most of us. A lot of us are blind to it, but the 15 other friends and family that are around us, oh, they see it. They've been telling you about it for years. Gosh, you guys are quiet. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's evaluation of you externally is that, but I'm, I'm saying that if, there's, if it smells like a duck in your life and it quacks like a duck, folks, it's a duck. Shoot that sucker. Quack, 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 you know, shoot it. So we have two perspectives. The thing we can learn from Hezekiah, and I wrote this down. A couple of things. Hezekiah is so self-absorbed, he just glosses by the fact his kids will be taken into captivity. Not to mention that he's actually a slave now to bad thinking. And the kingdom, I believe this in my heart because you see this all throughout the Bible. God worked through his his mistakes. But don't tell me that he couldn't have interceded on behalf of others. Don't tell me that you don't have the power to make intercession for someone else, for a kingdom and a cause and a purpose larger than from yourself. If it's all about being a bless me club, and Lord knows I preach the blessing of God here, but if it's all about me, that is selfish. And we're just calling it like it is today. I mean, you know, uh, I'm a big grace guy. I'm a 50th chance guy, but we have to take inventory. I mean, look at our country right now. I refuse. There's two voices out there. Oh, the country's falling apart. Well, in some ways, it needs to. Then there's another voice that says, we can't, but God can, and he's about to. Choose your perspective this day and to whom whom you will serve. My perspective is this. I want families to win. I want people to win. But our priorities and our blind spots from 2011 have got to be exposed so we can let God deal with it. Grace empowers it, covers the multitude of sins. See, when God sees you, he doesn't see all of your mess-ups from 2011. You know that you're a righteousness of Christ? He sees Jesus. And he's waiting for this flawed vessel in us to receive Be good receivers of his grace, his power, his knowledge. He knows the secret to your problem. Do you know that? He'll help you walk in that, in victory. Tangible example here. Tangible example. Many of you know I'm I'm an ex-drunk. Now, I I know there's different theories on that. No, well, you know, you're you're still a drunk. Uh, Well, here's what I say to that. The Bible says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Thus saith the Lord. July 2nd, 1996 was my last uh, beer. It was an old Milwaukee's Beast in a media bar in Ankeny, Iowa. 
How do I know that? I don't know because I didn't remember much. But for some reason, I remember that beer because it was awful. I mean, it was just awful. I mean, and I really hit the bottom. If you ever had one of those, those are the worst. I mean, I started off, that's how sin is. Oh, yeah, it's Heineken's, it's, uh, it's uh, black and tan. I mean, it's the good, you know, the high-class stuff. And then by the time, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm begging for a Keystone, light, light, Keystone. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not here to, <laughs> to dissect beers here today. I'm just here to, I'm here to tell you that, okay, so I'm in that situation. My perspective at that time was I have a drinking problem. I finally got that. I, I see that clearly. But I thought that was the problem. If I just get rid of the booze, I'm fine. And what God uncorked layer after layer is, no, right? you have a fear problem. Uh, you, you're, you're raging internally. You feel rejected by people. Uh, you, you're afraid of people. You're afraid of what they'll say. You, you've been walking in rejection for years. And oh, by the way, you drink a lot. Is this resonating with anybody? Because... I will tell you, once God exposed what the root problem was, he began to heal stuff left and right. Boom, 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 boom. Next thing you know, uh, the, the pornography's dealt with. I used to dip Copenhagen back then. That was in 19 or 2000, I believe, the last can. It was like $4 a can. I have no idea what it is now, but it's, I mean, and I was dipping a can a day. In 96, I made, I think, $16,000 a year at a TV station in, in Midland. I was dipping every day, drinking every day on $16,000 a year. How did I eat? I mean, my addiction was at least six grand a year alone. It's called credit cards. Have you heard of them? So all these things, God, he dealt with my credit. He dealt with my addictions. Why? Because I came to my senses on one thing, is that my life was unmanageable. And I was powerless to change it. First step in AA. First step. I can't. Okay, God, my life is unmanageable. The problem is, is a lot of us, we're manageable in these areas. or We're functional. Well, I'm good at my work, but I'm a lousy dad. It, are you getting the correlation? We have areas of blind spots. So uh, how do I get from point A to B? Second step in AA. I remember hearing this. And it's all out of the Bible is that I came to believe that God could restore me to sanity. That means in this area or areas, I have to admit that I'm insane. I'm not insane. How dare you? Why do you say that to me? I'm I'm fine. I've I've got, okay, that area that you're weak, how's that working for you, Mr. and Mrs. Willpower? Boy, he's snotty today. Just snotty. Just mean. (laughs) Willpower got me drunk, folks. So, so, all right, came to believe. I came to believe that, yes, in this area I was insane. Then it exposed all the little other areas, and here's how it came about. The third is I made a decision to turn it over to God. Not as my understanding, but Jesus Christ. When I got revelation of grace, whoo, you mean I don't have to live this way? Living in sanity after living, bowing to the porcelain God 24-7? I don't have to do that anymore? Hallelujah. Then, step four, the inventory part. Now, I'm not here to preach AA today. I'm telling you it's straight out of the Bible. God t- wants us to look at our, uh, uh, at our blind spots and, and inventory. When you start writing down all the things, 
uh, when I start seeing for what it is, oh my gosh, I have an anger problem. I didn't think I had it, but I do have an anger problem. And my other 38 friends around me have been saying that for years, but now I see it. It's on paper. Okay? And as you grow in Christ, when you begin to see all these blind spots, when you're honest, and you have to be honest, because you know, you know. This isn't being legalistic. It's not being mean. It's simply saying, if, if you have a tooth that's loose and you're a kid and you need it to come out, you need help to have someone extract it. This is the church, folks. This is the perspective that we, we need help. You need grace. You need grace. Here's what I see. On, you know what I see on TV? I see guys getting marginalized 24-7 about what terrible fathers they are. That they don't have a clue. They're all, you notice that guys on TV are always dumb. Culture. You know what? The cult, there's an insidious plot to make us dumb. Guys. I mean, we're leaders. We're going to lead, by the way. And next week, uh, I said this uh, last week, but I don't know if you realize it. This is the year of the dude. I'm passionate about this. I'm going to talk more about that next week. I don't want to preach that sermon yet. But I get tired of seeing guys marginalized on TV. I mean, you know, that they, that, you know and that the mom's a spiritual head. And, and let, me, let me tell you, my wife, I listen to on just about everything. She takes my inventory all the time. But I listen to her. But she also knows not to overstep the bounds uh, and take back what God has actually given me, and that is authority to make a decision. I don't make all the right ones. I don't know about you. But, and my wife is sometimes quick to point that out. Sometimes she's judicious and wise when, when she delivers that. Uh, but one thing I've learned is I write vision out for the year. I do this every year. If you don't put it down physically, Write it down on paper, on purpose. You are far less likely to achieve the goal that God has birthed in you. So if you want to quit smoking, ladies and gentlemen, you can. Jesus delivered from you from that on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now walk in the grace for it. I can't tell you how many addicts, bad thinking, and bad mindsets that I've dealt with with people over the years. If they would turn their will and their life over, because that means, wait a minute, Kibby, you're saying I have to die to something. Hallelujah. It's called self. I close with this. Where are you on the spectrum? Hezekiah, full of self-sufficiency. Gideon, can't do anything. There's balance, folks. His name is Jesus. And if you operate in that, once you get revelation of how good God is, and he's for you, who can be against you? I close with this. Taking our inventory. In 2011, I, I, this is not, let me, let me filter this through. This is through grace. I'm asking you to take an honest look at yourself through grace, not through legalism, not through making you feel terrible. I just want you to take an honest look. In 2011, I read or listened to my Bible. Some people need to listen to their Bible because they, they can't see. I read or listened to my Bible, A, once a day, B, once a week, C, once a month, or D, once a year, if I could find it. I know that's not anyone in here. In 2011, I attended church once a week, twice a month, once a month, 
or as a Christer. And if you're in here, you don't qualify for Christer because that's only you attending church on Christmas and Easter. So you've already ahead of the curve. And I say all that not to be cheeky and kitschy, but we should be out close to A, amen? In 2011, I attended church once a week, twice a month, once a month as a Christer. A. In 2011, I prayed multiple times a day, at least one time a day, at least once a week, at least once a month, or only once last year when the Packers played Pittsburgh in Super Bowl 45. <laughs> By the way, God can take your prayers. I mean, I've prayed dirty, hairy prayers. Oh, Lord, bring fire down from heaven and just mess up our Congress. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, <laughs> but... Okay, he'll take your dirty, hairy prayers, make my day prayers. He'll take, he'll listen to you, communicate with him. That's all it is, folks, is talking, talking to God. God, uh, uh, my wife's on my heart. She's struggling in this. Can you just touch her and minister to her? Boom, you're done. That's a, what, eight-second prayer? In Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. That's what, five words? You know that's a prayer? Talk to him, okay? This isn't a hard thing. I attended church once a week. Gosh, that's... Well, you'd make my job real good, real easy, if we could just get... Hey, the average American believes in church membership, goes to church about 20... Out of 52 weeks in a year, will go no more than 24 times a year. That's the average American who would consider themselves faithful church attenders. Can we just raise the level a little bit? I mean, is that... Am I being legalistic to challenge you to raise the level? I'm not saying every week, but I'm saying... What you prioritize, you become. In 2011, I gave the first tenth of my income to a church. A, consistently. B, occasionally. C, don't believe in it. I'm not here to hammer on anybody on this. I just want you to get revelation that when you place God first in your finances, the first tenth, he works. It's that simple. There's no other sell for that. Wherever you attend your church, wherever it be, here, wherever, God honors his word. He says he will bless you, not just materially, spiritually, physically, financially. I can't, I don't have time. I can't preach that message today. I just want you to be open-minded. Some of you have been close to that for years because either a preacher ticked you off or said it the wrong way or he's all about money. You know, God's bigger than that. I'm convinced that if my God could literally float money down from heaven, if not a person gave his kingdom. You know why he asked people to do that? Because he wants you. He wants your heart. You're his treasure. Money can't buy that. You are his treasure. Last one. In 2011, I served my church in some capacity, A, weekly, B, monthly, C, yearly, never because, A, I'm a taker. That's a little harsh. <laughs> no, most people are not takers. I mean, honestly, can we be, re can we be real? Most people don't wake up and say, yep, in 2011, I'm going to be a taker, not give a dime to the kingdom of God, not serve and not connect, and I'm certainly not going to pray. No one wakes up doing that, folks. It's a slippery slope. And then your margin decreases, your, your time margin decreases, your, your connection to the family of God decreases, and before you know it, Houston, we have a problem. So, I mean, I say this out of love. I'm just saying, where are you on that spectrum? I don't know. That's the Holy Spirit's job to talk to you about that. I'm just the messenger. Save the rotten apples for someone else. Maybe in cotton. No, I'm not going to say that. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You say, Ryan, uh, you've hit me square between the eyeballs, not just in the inventory which you gave, which assessed where I'm at spiritually, 
but also in the strongholds and the mindsets, the way I view myself, the way I don't see myself as the righteousness of Christ because I don't even know Christ. I really don't. The, the way you talk about him does not resonate with me. But I want to, and I'm open to, this relationship that you're talking about. Make a decision for Christ to simply saying, yes, I, I ask you to, to, to be my Lord. But Lord sounds oppressive, but it's not. Lordship just means that you die to your old thinking and you allow him to be God in your life. God's good, man. He has a great plan. You say, well, Ryan, I'm ready to make that decision and commit. I haven't made that. Or maybe I made it years ago and things happened. I fell away. If you backslid, slide on back into his loving arms. Amen. If you, if that's you, just heads bowed, eyes closed, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many people have been down that road. I'm going to ask the congregation to to pray this with me. Many of you have. It's not about the prayer, folks. It's not about the prayer. It's about a decision to turn your will and your life over to Jesus Christ. When that decision is made, your life circumstances cannot stay the same. If you give him everything and die to what your old thinking was. Your perspective changes. Let's, congregation, let's say this prayer. Father in heaven, I receive your grace. Thank you for showing me your love. I purpose in my heart to die to self and let you be Lord. Not because I have to, because I want to. And in God's power, I consider it done. Last thing I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to touch on with heads bowed, eyes closed. This is a fundamental question. And Father, I ask that you give them transparency of heart to feel this and know this. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Pastor Ryan, I, uh, I've got some blind spots there. I've got some, some areas where Uh, I know they're in shadow and I can't get victory. I cannot get victory. I'm not asking you to expose what that is. God already knows. And nor am I putting shame and condemnation on you. Not at all. I just want you to deal with that, that, that thing that has oppressed you for years. And you've gone into every new year saying, I'm resolved. I'm saying, lay your resolution down. And I'm saying, give it to Jesus. Because he's your power. Willpower won't fix it. Jesus can. You say, Ryan, I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know how to do that, but I, I want to expose it to the light. Please stand up. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. But if you, if you have that, stand up. Stand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whatever that it is that's oppressing you. Father, I just lift up these burdens, these strongholds, Thank you for the courage for them to deal with that at the altar. That change is here. That their perspective has changed. That you will provide the the blueprint. What they've struggled for years to overcome in self-sufficiency, in trying to fix it themselves, you will overcome with one revelation, one encounter with you. Whatever that issue is. These are great people, Lord. Lift them up through grace. Lift them up 
Father, I declare victory. I, I rebuke the enemy that has lied to them for years that they can't get victory in this area of their life. It's broken in Jesus' name. The blood of Jesus is against every principality and power that would try to keep them in bondage or enslave to that issue and that faulty perspective. Loose the peace of God over them in this upcoming year. And thank you in advance, Lord, for the testimony of victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.